Marketers and business owners face a nagging challenge. The tension between the tremendous leverage digital channels give them to get their messages out to the world and the struggle to produce the volume of high-quality content needed to feed those platforms. While social media and digital channels offer endless opportunities to showcase thought leadership, the real challenge lies in content creation. Given this backdrop, it's no surprise that generative AI tools like ChatGPT are getting so much attention and gaining traction. Every day, I come across posts praising ChatGPT's ability to craft amazing articles in seconds, suggesting that the days of content creation constraints are over. The truth is, when you get your hands dirty and actually use these applications, most people find that producing quality content still requires expertise and a human touch. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Retirement Space Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. In today's episode, I'm discussing how I use generative AI apps like ChatGPT to create written content. With so much interest in this topic, I thought I'd share with you my workflow, and if you find something useful in the way I use these apps, then feel free to borrow whatever you'd like. On the surface, this might not seem like a topic related to the retirement space, but what I'm finding is that most every organization directly or indirectly involved with retirement plans and wealth management are in constant need of content to support their sales, service, and marketing functions. Asset managers, record keepers, advisors, consulting firms, advisory networks, they all need a ton of written and graphic content. Yet most struggle producing the amount of quality content they need. This is why generative AI apps are so enticing. Just imagine if an app, a free one at that, could write your organization's white papers or blog posts or your portfolio manager's quarterly commentaries in seconds. Well, some say that day is here. However, I've used these apps quite a bit, and at the current state of the technology, it still requires a fair amount of skill and human interaction to produce content that you'd want to post to the public or share with the client. That said, I'll share with you how I use these apps to create written content, and you can decide for yourself. There are plenty of times I write articles without any use of generative AI apps, but for this episode, I'll talk you through how I would write a typical short blog post of about 500 words using them. As I go through my process, I'll describe a lot of steps. And to keep you from having to take detailed notes, I've posted my workflow and prompt sheet in a blog post at www.theretirementspace.com. I'll put a link to that post in the show notes of this episode. I also created a sample blog post using this process and I share the prompt I used to create it and the final version of the post itself so you can see an example of what I'm talking about. Before I get into the details of my workflow process, I'll tell you the apps I typically use. There are four of them. First, I do a lot of my editing and storing of versions in Microsoft Word. Nothing special there, just plain old Microsoft Word. For grammar, sentence clarity, reading level analysis, and plagiarism checking, I use Grammarly.com. I use Grammarly daily. Now, I don't always accept its suggestions, but many of its suggested edits are a huge improvement over my original content. At this time, I use two generative AI apps, ChatGPT and Bard. Bard is Google's ChatGPT-like app. 
My workflow is broken down into three phases, visualize, research, and create. I start by visualizing as clearly as possible what impact I'm trying to make with the content. At a minimum, I should be able to answer the following five questions. What's the main topic of the piece? Who is the author? Who's the content coming from? Who is the intended audience? To whom is the author writing? What is the intended benefit to the audience? So why would they want to read this content? And what is the intended benefit to the author? So what's in it for the reader and what's in it for the writer? Then before I start the create process using the generative apps, I do independent research. I want to know the facts and references that will or might end up in the content and get this information from an independent trusted source. Now, in some cases, I already know the subject matter before I start, so I can skip that process or brush up on the facts, but I do not solely rely on the generative apps for facts. Now, they do get the facts correct sometimes, but not always, and I want to be able to check any factual content based on my independent research. So once I have the facts straight, it's time to start creating. The create phase involves engineering the prompt, this is the command in the form of text I'll type into the app, and then the editing steps that I'll go through once I have the output. Let's first talk about what goes into the prompt. People often refer to this as prompt engineering. I'll take you through the cheat sheet I created for myself, but like I said before, I also published this in a blog post at theretirementspace.com. I have not found that it matters what order I put these items in the prompt. I imagine the app processes the entirety of the prompt before it begins creating, so order should not impact the output. Okay, here's the list. The first five items come right out of my visualize phase, the topic, so state the main topic, the author, the reader, the intended benefit to the reader, and the intended benefit to the author. So for instance, if the purpose of the piece is to raise the brand awareness of the author or their practice or to create a specific engagement with the audience, I'll state that in the prompt. I'll talk about style and tone in a minute, but one way to control those factors is to specify a persona for the author. So an example might be, I might say, the author of this blog post is a financial advisor writing in the persona of a college professor or a football coach giving his team a pep talk before a big game or a TV news anchor. Now, those are odd and dramatic examples, but I'm using those examples to make a point, which is I can influence the tone and style with specifying a persona for the author. Now, I said before that I used this process to create a sample blog post, and I've included the prompt and the final version of the article on my blog. I won't read the entire sample prompt because that would just be tedious, but I will read here the first part of that sample prompt that covers these five elements just to give you an example of what the prompt would sound like. So the prompt reads like this. Write a blog post about the prudent expert rule as defined by the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, and then I put ERISA in quotes. Write the post as if the author were a defined contribution plan advisor writing to an audience of employers who sponsor defined contribution plans. 
explain the importance of why defined contribution plan fiduciaries should know and comply with the prudent expert rule. The purpose of the blog post is to increase the author's brand awareness for his or her advisory practice, demonstrate their knowledge of the subject matter, and cause the reader to engage through a call to action. So that's an example of those first five elements and and how those would be worded in a prompt. Okay, continuing with the items on my cheat sheet, the next is the desired content format. I'll specify if this is a blog post, article, script, outline, what have you. Also, any specific format requests. If the output format is a blog post, I'll tell the app to use subheaders, usually every two to four sentences. That's pretty common for blog posts because people generally don't read blog posts. They just skim the subheaders. Also, keywords for an online piece. Now, I realize some people say keywords are less important these days, but there's no reason not to specify keywords. They don't hurt the content. Depending on the piece, I might choose the keywords myself and put them in the prompt or have the app choose them and then just tell it to be sure to use them in the body of the content. Also, if I want to include lists or bullets, I'll state that. For instance, I might ask it to summarize the three most important points of the piece and restate them as bullet points in the conclusion, something like that. Also, analogies or examples. There are times when I'll ask the app to incorporate a specific example or analogy in the body of the content. Other times, I'll ask it to just come up with its own examples or analogies, and then I'll iterate based on its output. I found that generative apps use a lot of examples and analogies normally, and a lot of times they're just weird or inappropriate uh, for the context or just awkward. So if the app keeps missing the mark on those, I'll just tell it don't use an example or analogy, and then if later I want to put one in, I'll just write it myself. Also, target length of output, I'll specify that in word count. Separate from persona are tone and style. I might tell it to write in a professional tone or a casual tone or humorous. Uh, By the way, my experience has been that generative apps are not good at creating humor. They might get better in the future, but when you miss writing humor, it's bad. It's just real bad. So if I need humor or want it in my piece, I'll just write it myself. And then there is readability level. A lot of times I will not specify this in the prompt. I'll just let the app determine what it thinks is the appropriate readability level given the context and then adjust that level later if it needs adjusting. I'll talk about that more when we get into the editing stage. Next is constraints. If there's a detail I don't want mentioned in the output that would be common for that particular topic, I'll state that in the prompt. Also, emphasis, kind of the opposite of constraints. If there is a specific detail I want emphasized in the output, I'll also state that. For instance, there have been times where I have put excerpts from a particular rule or regulation in a prompt to make sure the app has that specific context as it's writing. Title, generative apps are pretty good at title writing, so I'll often not mention title in the prompt. However, I've found that there are three attributes that usually make for effective titles, curious problem and question. 
So if a title is curious, where it doesn't reveal all the information you need to know what the piece is about, it has a tendency to entice readers to keep reading. Defining a problem rather than a solution in the title is also effective. And formatting a title as a question also has a tendency to improve engagement. All that said, there are times when I ask the app to come up with a title that is curious, references a problem rather than a solution, and is formatted as a question. And then I'll iterate from there. Title is one of the most important elements of a written piece, so I spend a ton of time making sure I get that right. And then finally, call to action. I'll state in the prompt if I want to elicit a specific action from the audience and what kind of call to action that should be. And that's my prompt cheat sheet. Now I'll talk about the create and edit phase. The first task is to compose the prompt, which I just described, and then I enter it into the app and it gives me the output, which happens immediately. And after I read it, I'll iterate. For instance, I might ask the app to rewrite using a more casual tone or more professional tone or increase the length by 10%, these kinds of iterations. It's rare that I don't have at least a couple of iterations, but I have found that the more detailed I am with the original prompt, the better that first draft of output is. That's why I spend so much time on composing the prompt. In rare instances, I just don't like anything that it's produced on the first draft, and I'll just ask it to try again. I simply type in the prompt box again, and then it rewrites the piece. Okay, I iterate, and then once I have a version I feel like I can work with, I ask the app to generate a readability review. I literally type in the prompt box, create a readability review of this last version. I'm primarily looking for reading level, but these apps, particularly ChatGPT, often provide pretty good qualitative comments regarding sentence complexity and vocabulary, these kinds of things that I find pretty useful. My goal is to simplify the writing as much as possible while still conveying all the critical details. I try to get the reading grade level to 7th grade or lower. On the Flesh-Kincaid scale, that's about an 80. The readability scale basically measures syllables per word and words per sentence. That's how they come up with the scoring on the Flesh-Kincaid scale. The higher the number, the better, or the easier the content is to read. If I see a score below about 70, I'll spend considerable time trying to simplify the writing. However, there are occasions, especially when I'm dealing with technical topics like the law, where I don't want to simplify the points where I'm no longer conveying the essential details, and so the reading level might creep up on a highly technical article. Of course, this is a subjective call article by article, but that said, this is the stage of the process where if I feel the writing is too complex, I, I will simplify it where I can. When I have the output where I want it, I copy it into Grammarly.com. There I make the necessary grammar or punctuation or sentence structure changes. I usually don't correct factual errors at this point unless they're obvious and easy to correct. I'll do most of that in a later step. Also, while it's in Grammarly, I'll check for plagiarism and I'll remove or rewrite any of those instances. Also, I'll look at Grammarly's readability review since it already creates one and it takes no time to check it. It's nice to look at that to get a second opinion. 
Now, for all the tasks I described to this point, sometimes I repeat them in both ChatGPT and BARD. I'll use the exact same prompt for both apps. And the reason I do this is because I found I get very different outputs from each of these apps, even when I'm using the same prompt. And it can be useful to take the best parts from each of them and incorporate the parts in the final version. So if I do that after both versions have gone through the Grammarly review step, I'll copy them into Word, keep the parts I want, and discard the rest. Now I'm ready to make any corrections of facts. I'll also rewrite oddly worded sentences and make style adjustments here. Sometimes the output from these apps it just sounds wooden or sometimes too perfect or weird. So this is the step where I humanize the output and make sure that it sounds the way I want it to. This is one of the main points of this episode, that these apps are great, but you still need to review every word of the output before using it to make sure it sounds the way you want it to. After those edits, I copy it back into Grammarly to catch any grammar errors I might have made during my edits. This is the point when, if at all possible, I stop looking at the content for at least a couple of days. Now, I don't always have the luxury of this. And if it's a short piece, let's say a two or 300 word blog post, I typically don't let it rest. But a longer piece, I've just found it's very useful to not look at it long enough where you've completely forgotten what you wrote. And then you have fresh eyes when you come back and do your final edits. And I always find when I do that, I come up with some improvements at the end. So I think it makes the final version better. Of course, once I make those changes, I need to run it back through whatever processes like Grammarly.com to make sure that you know every, everything's correct. So I do that before moving on. Finally, I'm ready to add disclosures, disclaimers, credits, anything that's necessary, but not part of the body of the piece. Of course, if I'm writing this for a client, they can take this version and put it through their compliance process and then come back to me with any edits based on their compliance review. And one additional step I do if the piece will be posted online, like my example, I'll copy the final version into the app and ask it to write an SEO description. And I usually tell it not to exceed 160 characters. Now, I could do this myself, but I hate writing SEO descriptions and it takes chat GPT just like five seconds to do it. So I'll just let chat do that task. And then that's it. That's my workflow. Now, before I wrap up this episode, I want to just briefly share with you some of my pros and cons based on my experience having used this process. I'll start with the pros. I find using these apps, at least for me, greatly reduces the drudgery of writing, the cognitive stress. Writing can be a grind. And this may be the biggest benefit, even more so than time savings. It's easier to edit a piece of content, even if the draft needs a lot of work, than starting from scratch. At least it is from my perspective. But these apps also save a ton of time. Depending on the complexity of the piece I'm writing, it can cut the amount of time it takes to create by as much as 75%. The generative apps are very helpful for certain tasks like dialing up or down certain aspects of the content, like readability. I'll also use them for tactical tasks when I write longer pieces, maybe have it create an executive summary. Of course, I'll edit that, but just getting that first draft is a big help. And at times they make useful suggestions that I didn't ask for. For instance, 
If I tell it I'm writing a blog post, they sometimes suggest things like adding an engaging story at the beginning or a call to action at the end if I didn't already have those in the prompt. So those are some of the pros. Now for the cons. The biggest concern I have with content straight out of these apps is that it can often sound artificial, like a computer wrote it, because it did. It could be there's just too much hyperbole, or the emphasis is in the wrong place, or the vocabulary is odd. It doesn't sound like something I'd say. Of course, if I'm writing the piece for a client, it's more important to make sure it sounds like something they would say, or is consistent with their brand guidelines. But you get my point. I usually have to humanize the output at least a little, sometimes a lot, to make the final piece sound like it's a human-to-human interaction. These apps also sometimes get the facts wrong, and a variation on that theme is that they have a tendency to miss contextual or domain-specific nuances. For instance, if I'm writing a piece and need to use the term, let's say, plan participant, and I use that term many times, the app's will want to change some of those occurrences to something like plan contestant. Well, they're not plan contestants, they're plan participants. So this is what I mean by sometimes they get the domain-specific nuances incorrect. And this happens particularly when I'm writing about technical issues, which is mostly what I do now. Now, those issues are easy to catch and easy to fix, but I wouldn't want to use content straight out of these apps without reviewing it thoroughly. Also, they can hallucinate. That's what it's called when they make up completely random statements or facts that don't have any basis in reality. Now, those hallucinations can be entertaining, but I wouldn't want one to make it into my final copy. There are also potential security issues. For instance, I wouldn't put proprietary or confidential or personal identification information in these systems that I wouldn't want sitting around in a database somewhere for who knows how long. It's not clear where or how this information is stored and potentially used later. And then there's the whole genre of ethics issues, the potential for job displacement, biases in the output, the ability to use these systems for deception. It's not a short list. Suffice to say, there are some potential negatives and working through them is going to take some time. Okay, that is what I wanted to cover today. Thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful. Like I said earlier, I'll put a link to the accompanying blog post in the show notes for this episode so you can see a written version of the detail I covered today. And if you'd like to check out my other Retirement Space podcast episodes, head over to www.theretirementspace.com. If you found this episode useful, I would truly appreciate it if you left a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. That really helps get the message out to new potential listeners. And you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts even if you listen to this episode on another platform like Spotify. Finally, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for guests for future episodes, you can email me at matt at theretirementspace.com. Retirement Space.